Let me talk you through the two most emotional, stressful months of my sales career. It's no big deal to call a CTO and tell I want to talk. You cannot stand on the sideline and basically wait until the dice rolls itself. It's never going to happen. I don't know if this is going to be on the record or off the record. It's almost like playing with cards, this job. Like, it's like you, you get given a hand of cards and like you have to do the best with what, what you have. It's like someone might have been watching, watching down on me. Me and Jack going into this, when, when he originally told me exactly the same, like, oh, you know, Jack, I've got this idea, you know, what about this? I just, my first thought was, my God, if no, I don't even care if anyone, like, listens to this, you know, if I take one key takeaway from every recording, I'll be such a better rap. This is No Big Deal, the sales podcast. Yeah, I'm Jason Bassgrant. I am a self-titled, self-governed sales doctor um i've been in sales for 35 years now so i started when i was four i actually managed to get a guy called michael cigarelli so if he's listening to this he managed to trade his uh brand new nike trainers for a peanut butter jam sandwich when i lived in the us um been selling ever since um i'm obsessed with you know uh, refining or sharpening the sword and getting closer to that kind of level of perfection and what i think is amazing about sales is you know here we are decades in and I still feel that every week there's something new that I'm picking up and uh, I think that's really magic and I just know that in a year's time we'll all be sharper and better so I think it's a really good initiative you got Jack you know running this podcast helping the community and uh, allowing us to be better more professional slicker salespeople overall excited to speak to you you're someone that I just have always loved even though we haven't had loads of time to speak I just follow all your stuff and I know you're a massive sales nerd like me and Jack so we really wanted yeah. to uh, I went out of my way to try and get you on this as one of our first guests um, on the podcast. Because even, uh, to be honest, Jason, I was just thinking, even if Jason has some really shitty deal, he would be able to make it sound so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure you've got a really, really fun roller coaster deal from start to finish. No, I've, I've, got, I've, got, a good, I've got a good one, good one up my sleeve. And then I've got, got some fun stuff maybe I can share about now where I'm kind of obsessed with... Um, you know, being uh, not giving the illusion of choice because that makes it sound sneaky, but actually truly giving customers the choice. You know, and I always always think about this fantastic restaurant I used to go to. It was at the back of a theatre in Birmingham and I lived there for six months and they had this menu with literally three starters, three main courses, three desserts. And Jesus Christ, every time I was there, I had one of each and I'd go back and I'd always keep trying the other things because it's just that simple. So I'm, I'm obsessed right now with the not the illusion of choice, but actually truly having the choice for the customer. So maybe I can share a few things about that too. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm interested in that. When you say the illusion of choice, you mean minimal choice. I'm a big fan of having options available because when you give someone just one option, I think the natural reaction is you'll look to see what else is out there. So if you find a pizza restaurant in a town that you've never visited, you're probably going to look and see if there's other pizza town uh, pizza parlors, and then you're going to compare reviews, and you're going to see which one has the highest one. Then you're going to see which one's closest, and you'll go for that. And I think when it comes down as well, when you're kind of pricing or scoping, you should give the customer the choice so there's different flavors or there's different experiences they can have. And then when I look to present it, I don't know, it's a bit, it sounds a bit basic, really, but I, I go from kind of left to right. That's how we read. So I start with the absolute Rolls Royce, the creme de la creme, the most expensive thing I can find and I even joke to the customer I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know we have it it's our halo product Spotify Netflix US government this is what they buy it's great for them I'd love if you bought it you probably won't you may be very happy if you did but you probably won't 
I'll show you some other options. And then I have the kind of the medium, the Goldilocks in the middle. And then I have the cheapest one where that's probably where I'd recommend them to go. And it's really funny when I've been doing this for the past couple of months, they often go for the one in the middle. So they actually go for the one that's not super expensive, but actually not the cheapest, but they go for the one where they feel they've had a choice to go, well, that pizza parlor's a little bit shitter. That one's a bit too expensive. There's a queue there, but this one is just right. So like they've got the choice, they've got the options there. And it's, it seems to it seems at least have the right effect. And in fact, just before this, so please do not. What mm. makes you do the biggest price on the left and work down rather mm. than doing like the smallest price and then working up? Well, because that's how we, I think we absorb information in a way, you know, it's that kind of like, oh, mm-hmm, that's better. Oh, that's really good. It's like, you know, you you go into Audi, you know, Audi, and no disrespect for anyone, Audi doesn't have their A3 diesels from 15 years ago sitting out the front. No, they have their e-trons, they have the spiders, they have the really, really nice ones. Because you go in and you think, oh, this is nice. And then as you go in, you go deeper into the, you know, into the showroom you then have the kind of mid tier and the basic tier of cars that can kind of you know show you out the back but they lure you in and they want to show you actually what their engineering is all about so in fact when they do tell you about the a3ds they can go oh do you know what the underpinnings or or this component or it's 90 percent of actually of that car but you just get yeah, it this yeah. well that kind of comfort to us so I, I think if we went the other way and in fact people were going past and seeing a load of you know 15 year old a3ds or hatchbacks outside audi it probably wouldn't really bring people in, but they want to see the nice shiny toy. So I start with the, I even say, like, I'm even, even open and honest, like, you're, you're not going to buy this. I'd love it if you did. You're probably not going to buy it, but have a look at how great it is. And I think like Apple's really good at doing this. You know, you go into their shops and have like the iPad Pros and have all the expensive stuff out on display front and center for you to play with. So you get the experience and then you have a deeper level of trust in the other products they have, which are cheaper, more affordable, lower in cost, but ultimately you perceive that kind of quality. If it went the other way, it's a little bit hard to justify to say, hey, this is rock bottom and I really want to get you up actually at the mm. top. I, I have my own actual top. story about that where it's funny you are saying that. When I was like looking for um, like to rent a house in the past couple of years, every estate agent we went to would always show you the rubbish ones and they'd finish with the end one. And it ended up being the estate agent we went to was just like, look, Jack, I'm just going to go straight for it. I've got this unreal property. I'm going to take you there first and we'll go and look at the other ones later. And it just went in and it was unreal. And then he showed me the worst ones after. And I was like, well, obviously I want the best one. Yeah, of course. And that's such you know what's interesting about that as well is after you have bought it, you never think the person I just bought this off only, if you buy the, the cheaper product, you never think, mm-hmm. oh, the person I bought this off only sh- sells shit products. Because yeah. you know mm-hmm. that they sell a better product. You just didn't buy it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I even say to customers, like, I'm going to, you know, I, I kind of lean in, you know, I say I'm the sales doctor, you know, I don't have a PhD, I haven't got a doctorate anyway, I just, I think it's a fun, a fun thing to have just like this ridiculous mustache. But I think it's, it's quite good to kind of say, you know, I'm, I'm going to prescribe, I'm going to recommend you something that this is probably going to work for you. And you're probably going to alleviate all the symptoms, all the injuries, all the problems you've got in your business. And this is this is the magic medicine to take, here's where you're going to go. So actually, what I do, I won't share my screen, because maybe that's a bit too much. But I even I even kind of, you know, I use particular colors to highlight things. So I have like the the Rolls Royce and I'll even give it a name. You know, I'll give it a name which I think sounds cool. You know, uh, leading edge product, you know, bleeding edge tech, you know, you in 30 years. Like I'll kind of give it that kind of name. Yeah. The one in the middle, I'll give something a bit more, uh, you know, normal. And the third one, I won't even give it a name, but I have this kind of, you know, yellow chevron over the top, which says recommended. And, you know, just we're, we're taught to read left to right. You start the sentence at the beginning and you go to the end and that's your conclusion. And the conclusion is, this is probably the best thing for them, but at least they know we've got everything else 
up into the top. And like I said, I've, I've seen some really interesting behavior where people go, actually, do you know what? I don't need the cheapest thing, but the one in the middle, that, that feels really, really good. That's the kind of Goldilocks for me. Jason, oh, Jason, Jason, could you give us a brief intro to your version of Jack's introduction there? Can you give us your rendition? No, he's uh, accurate. He's, he's, he's good. It's, uh, he should have a podcast. It's a good job he does. No, so uh, and my girlfriend will go, oh, what are you thinking of, darling? I'm like, I'm just thinking, like, what's the most brilliant opening I can do for this pitch tomorrow? So <laughs> no, but like, I'm honestly thinking, like, if I introduce it this way, it's actually going to set the tone in a really good way. And then I'll, then I'll literally get my iPad and I'll sketch it out. And she goes, you're mental. I'm like, yeah, but this is, this is sales. So I think if you get to that depth in sales, like it, it is all consuming and you do, you do, you, you do act professionally. I actually calculated the other day, I've done 38,500 hours of paid sales. Like that's what I've done in my life. And they say to be a professional, you need to do 5,000 hours. So like now I'm, I'm so deep in the craft. I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm institutionalized. I can't, I can't do anything else. I'd be really scared to do anything else. I'm honest. So that's why I need to go deeper. I need to get better. And that's why I'm happy to kind of learn amongst you people and uh yeah the community as a whole we're, we're keen to hear about we want to know about big deals because we want to know about not only about how people go about it but we love hearing about the serendipity of how, how a big deal comes to yeah. life like yeah. the luck that comes with it the chance the the maneuvers that you play here and there the the things that fall in your favor the things that don't um the aligning of the stars and so on that's kind of what we love about the big deal not only hearing the um anecdotes about strategies that you played or processes that you followed we like hearing about everything that comes around it like you know the story about i was in bed and i just my girlfriend was like hey do you want to watch tv and you're like no one second i'll just sketch out this idea about this big pitch i'm gonna do tomorrow <laughs> like we want to hear about everything the ins and outs of it so do you have one in mind that you want to talk about today yeah i, I got one it's, it's it's from a couple of years ago but I, I i do love it because actually the people i sold to i'm still I'm still, I, I dare I say, we're, we're friends now. You know, we're still in contact. We'll ring each other every now and then. We'll get on together for a Zoom. We'll catch up with each other. And it started actually talking about serendipity. And it's so funny because last night I was actually thinking to myself, like, I'm a really lucky guy. Like, I'm really lucky. I've got three healthy kids. You know, I've been able to, you know, be an immigrant in a foreign country and get a job. And, you know, I, you know I'm really happy with where I am. Is that luck? Like, am I, am I lucky that things just happen to fall? But then I thought, no, actually, you know, it is about the hard work. You know, I haven't just kind of, you don't just, you don't just rock up into a big deal. There's always big deals to be had out there, but it's about getting yourself in there at the right level. So you're not giving away something too cheaply, or you're not missing it completely, or you're not just kind of fumbling it. And there's people that can kind of take a big deal and they can wreck it as well. So, you know, the things to kind of cherish and look after. And this one actually came out, I'm not going to say the name because I know I'm under you know, <laughs> under rules, not to, to mention names, but they're a really, really, really stupidly large organization. I'm talking about 300,000 people. So you can kind of at least understand what stratosphere they're in. And I'm a firm believer that companies of that size, like they do have budget, like they've got money to spend. And I also understand that the more serious they're going to take you, the higher in cost certain things are. So in fact, with that in mind, the serendipity or the luck that I had this particular day was the person who's responsible for this account he was actually on sick leave. So unfortunately, he'd been signed off. He was off for a couple of months. No one knew when he's coming back. And this account, massive one, the spent at the time, maybe 15, 20,000 pounds a year was just racking around. It was just being serviced. Nothing really much was happening. Um, I landed on my desk. My boss said, his name was Rob. He said, Jason, he goes, I've just got this fax. So this is, this is a little while ago. I've just got this fax. They want us to quote. I know at the time I sold, you know, leased lines. I sold connections between data centers. So allowing them to connect one data center to the other and send information at a very high speed. I said, but they want to connect the data centers and they've asked for this particular size of 
connection between the two. Can you give them a quote? And I don't know why. Like I, I, I think maybe I was just, I think I was busy. I also didn't know the customer, and I decided that actually I wasn't going to give them a quote. Like I just, I just felt that actually was too much time to spend generating a quote for this than it would for me to maybe figure out what's going on. So I actually rang this guy. His name's Deb. Still friends with him now. And I said, Deb, we haven't spoken before. My name's Jason Baskaran. I've got this fax, which is really nice. And it says that you want to actually connect your data centers together. I know you're a paying customer already, but I'm really sorry. I have no idea what you're doing with this project. So I, I'm going to say no, that I can't quote. He said, you're not going to quote for this. He said, do you not want the business? I said, oh, no, I didn't say I didn't want the business. But what I did say is I'm not going to quote for this. He said, what can make you quote for it? I said, well, if I can maybe come and see you and you can tell me what you're trying to do. So they actually invited me down. So they actually had an office on the south coast of, of the UK. So just drive past Horsham and you get towards Worthing. So end up in Worthing, come to this office. And honestly, these were probably the, the nicest bunch of guys you can meet. And I said, look, I've said no. And I know that's maybe a bit of a strange thing to have. I said, but just explain to me, what are you doing? Like, what are the services you've already got with my company? I haven't had a handover because your main guy is actually sick and he's on leave and we're not sure when he's coming back. So let's just pretend I'm going to be your account manager for the time being. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you want me to do. And they just poured out. like They were just giving information. And I think that was probably one of my first times that unconsciously, like I was, I don't know, it sounds a bit strange, but like maybe I was becoming the doctor. Like maybe I was figuring out that there was like a problem and I need to figure out if I could actually serve them because I knew that maybe we couldn't, maybe we didn't. Maybe there's price or maybe it was a particular technical requirement that we just couldn't handle so they just poured out everything to me and I said well look this seems like a really really big project and I think maybe I can help you with this but I can't do it by myself so I really felt that this was a huge company you know like I said over 300,000 members of staff they're spending 15 20 20,000 pound at the time that asked for a quotation which at the time like just to kind of put in perspective it had probably netted me like 30,000 pound so like not not a lot but also not a terrible amount. It had done my quota for the month. Let's put it that way. But what came, became really interesting and to kind of, I guess, jump to the conclusion is this deal turned into 2.9 million pounds worth. And what it turned into is actually that we had a payable service manager, a payable billing manager. We took over all their telephony lines. We took over all their internet connections. We connected not one data center, but six or seven together. We made the services more resilient. We made them more compliant with what they're trying to do. And I just, always, in fact, we walked away from the deal twice as well. But I always look back and I just think, I'm so glad I said no. Like, I'm so glad that I pushed back and I said, I'm, I can't quote you right now. So in fact, I've really taken that with me. And when it comes to deals big or small and a customer asks for a price, unless I feel I'm completely ready to give them a price, unless I know everything, then I tend to say, well, actually, do you know what? I can't. Um, and I explain to you why I can't, just so you don't think I'm a complete maniac but I can't quote you now because I actually don't know what you're trying to do. So this one only about sales and, you know, sharpening the sword or, or, or being the last football player on the pitch during your training. If you can actually refine your game and you can go from saying a kind of blunt no. And like, I was, I was pretty crass back then. Like I was pretty blunt. I don't think there's that much sophistication. I kind of got myself there, which is nice, but now I know how to say no, but also give them a reason as to why I'm rejecting them. You know, I can explain to them rationally, objectively, and then give them the chance to actually then respond or deliver something. And there's been occasions, not many, where a customer said, I can't give you that. I'm like, okay, well, then we can't do it. I can't quote you. You can't honestly expect me to quote you for saying I don't know what we're doing. So that was the big deal. Like I said, 2.9 million. Like it really, like 
it was like a once in a lifetime sales opportunity. And, you know, I hope this comes across the right way, you know, in, in sales, like we, we love the art of the deal. You know, we're, we're gluttons for punishment. We're rejected constantly every day, every month. But when you get those magic, magic deals that are large, uh, they can really change your year. Uh, they can really, <laughs> really change how you look at things. And for me, it was, yeah, three or four months worth of, you know, reaping rewards of a two-year process that actually really kind of changed my look on sales and, and ultimately changed that particular year that I had. Amazing. I think that was a pretty big introduction. We've got an insane amount to pick up from. And what I'm going to assume at the beginning, Jason, is that after the first time you went to see them in that initial meeting, they didn't have some light bulb moment where they went, here's a contract, Jason, for three million. Thanks very much for your time. It was no, two really, years, right? Yeah, it, so let's talk about what happened after that meeting. Yeah, but then I, I think, you know, uh, Jack, bearded Jack, I'll call you, <laughs> bearded Jack, you know, said it nicely. You know, in sales, there is, there is serendipity being in the right place at the right time. And I'm a real firm believer that, like I don't, I don't know everything. Like I'm very, very aware that I have massive gaps of knowledge and also capability. So for me, it's really important that I actually have a team that is technical or adds sophistication or adds balance where I lack it. So what I realized actually with this deal is because I didn't want to be yeah, unable to serve them, which was my ultimate goal. I can't quote you because I don't know, but also when I do know, I need to make sure that the whole team can serve because they're also you know, on, on board for the journey. So what I did is I actually had two pre-sales uh, agents or members of staff that actually came in and I said, I need you to focus on these particular people and these particular departments to figure out, are we doing the absolute best thing for them? And what came up really, really quickly is actually a guy called James Tant. So if he happens to be listening, I'll send him the link so he can. He was the guy that actually reached out and he said, look, I've just spent a day with these guys and there's something really interesting sitting here and I think we should explore it further. And this is a deal that actually connected up, I think in the last count, something like 3,000 sites together with tele telephony lines, you know, telephone lines that were just a couple of pound a pop per line, which is nothing like it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a sexy, it wasn't an attractive product, but it was a really, really essential thing. And I would never, ever, ever have come up with that unless I had James with the right people having a conversation that I wasn't qualified enough to have that could then come back to me and say, hey, Jason, by the way, there's something you've got to sniff out. So I think when it comes to big deals as well, I think anyone who's listening here that's either done a big deal themselves or wants to do a big deal, you don't do them by yourself. They don't happen. I'd, I'd be shocked. I've, I've come across one occasion where someone did a really, really large deal by themselves. And I ultimately don't think it was the best thing for them or for the customer. And I think the kind of fallout from that happened afterwards. So I think when it comes to doing a massive, massive deal and doing those big deals, have a great team around you, like have a team of people that are just absolutely different from you, where you lack technicalities or you lack the ability to present or you lack commercial awareness or whatever it is that you feel you don't have, bring those people in so they can kind of fill the gaps. And just from a credibility perspective, your organization seems a lot more substantial than it may do with just you as a sales rep with that kind of commission breath that wants to close the deal will look otherwise. So I'd say when it comes to big deals, you know, it's that serendipity is having the right people at the right place that can then feed back that information to you so you can take advantage of it. Interesting. You, you mentioned it again there, like credibility and like the things that come with being in a group. And I, I'm assuming that when you told them no at the start, that probably gave you a fair whack of credibility. I think so. Fair to say? I think, yeah, I think so. But, but also then, you know, it's quite funny because after that, I got recommended the book Start With No 
Um, oh. So then I, I then got I then got obsessed with it. It was like, do you want a chocolate bar? No, I mean, oh yes, yes, I do. So like, <laughs> it was it, it went went it went full hog the other way. So I think you know credibility. Let's put it, let's put it this way. I think sales sales professionals have done a really good job over the past 15, 20 years to kind of change our our branding from you know hungry commission orientated salespeople to actually more sophisticated, more balanced, you know, more willing to do the right thing for the customer. I think we've done a really good job with that. But I still think there is a level of fear from prospects and customers that that is ultimately what we are. You know, we we want to close the deal, we want to get the commission. And I think it's really important to kind of build up that credibility that you actually can slow that process down at the right moments you know know when to kind of slow it down put the brakes hey i need to pick up some information i need to fill in these gaps i need to introduce you to this person and i liken it to kind of playing a game of poker and i think when it comes to sas i don't know if you do this jacks jack one and jack two i don't know if you do this but i always say that the key to a really really big sale when it comes to sas is the longer you can hold the product demo away from them the better and more control you have as soon as, and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, at least for me, as soon as I bring up a slide or I showcase what the platform looks like, I think I'm on a position where I'm leaning very heavily on the product and features. So for me, the longer I can keep the conversation focused on the business, what they're wanting to do, but also filling the gap saying, do you know what? We can help you there. That's something we can cater for. Don't worry, we're going to get to that. But just getting as much information, as much data from them as possible that's when you get closer to the to that big deal and then you can you know like i say build up the credibility because then you can say do you know what i've listened to you we've had two three workshops together i'm going to show you something that's really going to kind of hit on all these particular points that you wanted and for me credibility is not just about saying no but it's about giving information when it's the right time having the right person presented as well and doing it the right way so credibility takes lots of forms but it definitely definitely doesn't take the form of being quick to feature dump being quick to jump to pricing within seconds when it's not been asked for and being quick to simply just talk about your product or your business or how great your company is. That's uh, that, I think that kind of erodes any credibility your brand may have. How do you set those expectations, Jason, in your deal? Tell them. Tell them. So I, I've been doing a thing actually for the past couple of months where I don't know if you've used it, but I'm a very visual person. So for me, like long blocks of text really don't kind of sit right with me. It's quite difficult for me. So therefore I assume that it's probably not gonna be the best way I communicate with. So I've actually started using something called a mirror board. And on this mirror board, I've got this wonderful picture of a, of a mountain. And I even say to customers at the beginning, do you know what? I'm going to get to know you. You're going to get to know me. You're going to get to know the company I represent, Contentful. And what we're going to do is we're going to climb this virtual mountain together. And, you know, I can say it's in Cumbria, or I can say it's in Oslo, or I can say it's in Reykjavik or wherever it is. And I can say we're going to climb this digital mountain together. And on there, I've got particular keystones or milestones, which are things like, today's challenges, today's ultimate goals, view for the future. So for me, it's really important that I keep the conversation away from our platform because I can assume the fact that we're having a conversation, they should have a level of trust that we're extremely capable and we do a lot and we have a lot of customers. That's a given. Like that's, that's, we wouldn't be in business if we weren't. But let's focus on them. What are they trying to do? What do they want to achieve? And then for me, I even say, like, I'm going to I'm going to hold off. You're not going to see the product just yet. I'm going to be doing a bit of a discovery. I'm going to be doing a bit of a Columbo. You know, I'm like the detective. I'm kind of just figuring out what's going on. I'm going to ask you some dumb questions because I don't know the answers. And I'm going to ask them not because I think it's cool or I think it makes me sound smart, but because I simply don't know and I need you to tell me. So I really educate them. And I, I use phrases like, you know, I need you to suspend your belief. We're going to climb a mountain together. You know, you're going to you're going to educate you're going to educate me 
on what's going on right now and what you're trying to achieve. You know, let, let me in a little bit so I can understand. So I use language and phrases like that where I can then go into listen mode and they can just pour. They can just kind of, you know, just explain exactly what they're trying to do, exactly what they're trying to achieve, exactly where the problems are. And then I can start hitting back on them. So for me, again, I've always, I, I used to call them rockstar meetings. You know, if you can do a meeting without doing a product demo, that means you've got a lot of info from them. And you've already built up a level of credibility and the belief that if you're going to do a second meeting, then they must trust that you've got the right gear behind you. So I think when you go too quickly into a product demo, you're probably doing so without kind of fully surveying what's out there. So you may be going too quickly to, oh, there's a quick deal here. I can sell a couple of licenses or a product and you're missing out on that big opportunity of actually there's a really big project here or there's a massive need that maybe even they don't know about just yet. I think that's brilliant. And one of the things that like really jumps out at me there is you, you hear this question, especially from people who are either new in a role or early on in their sales career, they often think, or ask people who are a bit more tenured than them. They always ask, what do I do next? What's the right thing to do? How do I go here? Who, who, what do I say to this person? Or what do I say here? And uh, one of the things that's really jumped out at me there is like, you've obviously come up with that idea yourself, Jason. No one said to them, no one said to you, oh, you should go get a Mario board and uh, put a mountain on it. <laughs> You're like, I've got an idea for a really great way to do some discovery and set some expectations. I think that's critical because most people go through this process thinking that all the answers are out there and they need to go and find them. But most of the time being creative like this is the best way to get about from A to Z. Here's the thing. So like when I, when I, when I started using this and I kind of, you know, thought that this is a, here's the thing, like we're a little bit fatigued, we're a bit wrecked, maybe we slept badly, maybe we had an argument, you know, maybe, you know, the cat mess on the floor, whatever it is, like we may not be tip top. And I always think like in my quest to be the best amateur dad I can be and the best amateur salesperson I can be, like I need the tools and the right setup to give this, you know, to give the right experience to the customer. So as soon as I started doing this and actually realizing the success that was coming from it, I reached out to my old workmates at my previous company, Get Accept. I was like, look, I've got to show you this because I think this is going to help you. And I said this to them, it's really hard for you and me as salespeople to always come up with that killer question. You know, that real wonderful opening question, just kind of blast things open. But for me, every single time, no one has struggled with this. I'm not, I'm not even asking a question. I simply say, hey, do you know what, Jack? You know, I don't know you right now, but I need you to suspend your belief. You know, you and me, we're going to climb this wonderful mountain in the Brecon Beacons together, and we're going to get to the summit. And of course, when you get to the summit, you know, I, I need you to tell me what your goals are. You know, what is that summit to you? I don't know what it is right now, so I need you to educate me. But as you know, with any climb of a mountain or any hike that we do together, we need to start off at the beginning at our base camp. You know, what are the challenges? What are the kind of pains right now? I don't know them. But then we're going to discover a route together, these milestones that we ascend, because nothing is one quick silver bullet, big bang, wonderful moment. But it takes time to kind of chip away at it and build up a solution and a setup that actually works for you. And I need to know how we get you there. And we do it together. But you know what? Because you are ambitious, Jack, and so am I. When we get to the top of a peak and we define our goals and what they are, and I really want to get you there, we're going to do it together as a team. We should also gaze off into the distance, you and I, because you just know there's an even bigger peak waiting for us. <laughs> and then we should talk about what's in the... Yeah, you're laughing, it's good. But then we should talk about what's in the next three years for you and what's your real moonshot peak. And you can just see from there, and I've, I've said this to, to other salespeople, like... Your competition is not going to be using a digital mountain. They're not going to be helping your customers ascend it. They're going to be going, 
okay yeah julie uh i'll show you what our platform does today you can put your contacts in here like bam like they're just that's not cool like you're just product pitching so i just think if there's a way that you can open up the conversation without having to deliver a golden perfect question each time because they're very difficult to do there's ways to open it up make yourself vulnerable but also be patient to kind of collect that data and give the solution too soon let them build the solution let them tell you what they want and then you can give the left to right recommendations of the Rolls Royce of the mountains or actually, do you know, what? this is probably the this Sherpa is OK to get you up to the top. He'll get you there alive. You'll be fine. You know, you'll, you'll get there in one piece. So there's different ways to do it. I'll just say it's like a really different. It's like a really alternate way of doing discovery where people say, oh, you need to go deeper. You need to go one level deeper. You need to go one level deeper, which sounds now I think about it on reflection, really invasive. Whereas what oh, you're oh, doing yeah. there, it makes it sound really aspirational. You want to go one level higher, one level higher, mm -hmm. one peak further, one one objective higher. And that sounds way more encouraging. I'm, I'm willing to give you more information if we're climbing to somewhere together. I'm not giving you more information if you want to invade my layers <laughs> you know what i mean that doesn't sound very nice yeah no, but, but like layer invasion or you know those discovery calls you know let's go back to credibility for a second you know you can you can gain credibility by starting no because you want to gather information to prescribe or recommend the best solution or the best product for them but also in the same token you can gain credibility but because actually you're not you're not you're not you know machine gunning them with questions where mm. you say things like uh, Jack, what's the biggest problem your salespeople face today? Jack, is it a real big issue that actually your your sales team don't act with the right information at the right time? Jack, would you love to speed up the pro like? They know they're in a discovery, yeah. and as a result, their guard is probably going to be up. They may be polite and they may give you some information, but they're going to go through this all vendor. So actually, if you can differentiate yourself and say, actually, Jack, you know what? We're going to go on a bit of a hike today. Like, bear with me. You're going to think I'm mental, and I probably am. I just haven't been diagnosed yet. But like, we're going to climb those mountains. <laughs> we're going to figure out how I can get you to what your goals are. I've got no idea. So like, I need you to tell me, like, just clue me in a little bit. Like all of a sudden you just, you, you take it to the next level. You know, you go to that, that particular peak. But I also say to people as well, like sell, sell within your comfort zone. Cause like, I've also met people that are extremely good at talking very calmly, slow pace, bleeding out that information. Like it's almost painful at the beginning, but you know, they've got a real kind of structure to it. But on the, on the other side, like I know for me, like I'm visual, I'm, I'm hyperactive. I think Jack is as well. Um, you know, we we can we can lean more heavily into this. So I'd say like whatever your persona is or whatever the easiest way it is for you to sell, lean very, very much into that. And that's when you're going to get the best results because you are authentic and there's no, there's no, uh, can I say bullshit? Because there's no bullshit with it. You can beep it out. Yeah. For me, one of the most intriguing parts about, about what, what you learn about yourself as you get older in sales is that you learn how to be yourself. At the start, you're, like, you're trying to be a salesperson. You're trying to like, what would a salesperson say here? Then after a while, you're like, no, I'm going to be myself. I used to think at the start, I needed to put on a different voice. No, I just, <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I used to put on a posh voice, obviously. Did you? <laughs> doing it. <laughs> I'm not going to do an impression of it now because it's embarrassing, but now I just speak like myself. Sometimes I sound like a sort of Dick Van Dyke out of Mary Poppins when I listen back to <laughs> I'd rather that now. Um, so, okay, let, I want to try and bring it back to the deal because that's uh, normally what we talk about, although I'm more than happy not to. <laughs> but it, it, we, in, we, in instance, we derailed. Yeah, we derailed, but in a very great way. So in this instance, tell me, how, how did you take these guys through what seemed like a really really easy, like simple, give us a quote, I want a few blah, blah, blahs. How did you manage to take them from there up the mountain? To the point yeah. they're going to spend almost three million dollars with you. Yes, I mean you remember like back 
back back then I was more junior. So I think I, again, I leaned into the fact that I was junior and there was just stuff that I didn't know. So when I came back from this meeting and I met with three people that particular day and I came back to the office and said, you know what? I think there's something big there. Like I think there's a real big project there and we need to scope this. So the first thing I started doing was actually mapping out peer-to-peer relationships and made sure that their director of that particular project was in touch with our directors and with our leadership team, that he felt safe. You know, we, we, we were taking this seriously. But I also spoke to my champion there and I said, look, I'll be really honest with you. Like I can quote for this, but there just seems like so much more you're trying to improve. They're with an incumbent at the time. And what became really, really clear was they were asking us to quote because actually their incumbent had really let them down and just didn't have the coverage, the pricing or the availability they wanted. So that was really important to them. So I started to lean more heavily into these things that were important to them to scale this mountain. And when I started focusing on that, I could then bring in the right people, whether it was people that dealt with a particular product, whether it was telephony or whether it was data services. And then when things started becoming bigger, I had project planners and managers that could give that kind of, again, that credibility again to raise us through the next level. So the first thing I did was, you know, map out what are the needs? Like why are they even asking us right now? And I think there's actually a question that salespeople sometimes forget when a customer is inbound, and this was ultimately an inbound, you know, they'd ask for a quote. Why are you asking us for a quote? Mm. Like educate, what's brought this about? And it's a really nice way to get to know them. So, you know, digging deeper in terms of the start of this, digging deeper in terms of their needs, but then starting to map out people where my, my honest ability was not there, but I knew it could be dealt with much better by a senior leader or someone who was in our tech team or someone who's in our billing support team to give that credibility and so mapping out those people. And like I said, maybe 10, 15 minutes ago, no big deal is done by one salesperson. They're really not. Maybe there's one or two cases out there. I know of one, but the big strategic deals are done because there's a real credible, diverse, talented team in front of the customer. The customer goes, do you know what? I can really, really lean on content, I can really, really lean on sales loft because it's not just Jack's there. There's a whole group there able to support me. So yeah, just mapping out needs mapping out stakeholders, mapping out people, and then being really, really clear, actually, here's where I think we need to take the relationship. You know, here's what I think we should do. And when it comes to, to big deals, the more structure you can give and the more certainty you can give, the more comforting that is. There's nothing worse than maybe just saying, yeah, I'll give you a quote and then I'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks. What do you mean you'll catch up with them? What, you'll just see how they are? And that tends to be how the conversation starts. I just want to check in and see how you are. So what I did, even on this deal at the fundamental level, was we mapped out, and again, a bit like the mountain, what are the milestones? What are the things that we're going to go through together? What are the next steps? Does this feel good for you? Does this feel comfortable? Is there something missing? Now is the time to speak. So we had a really, really open dialogue. And what it meant that was by halfway into this kind of scoping, this validation, I was spending two days a week in their office, they were cooking and making me lunch and bringing me food. Like we were deeply, deeply intertwined. And this kind of guard of they're dealing with a salesperson was completely down. It's actually, hey, we're dealing with someone that really wants to help our business. Because fundamentally, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that we could help them to achieve what they weren't achieving right now. And that came about because we said no. We figured out the needs, why, why they came to us in the first place. I think you said at the beginning as well, Jason, <clears throat> that you thought you lost the deal a couple of times. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Could you talk to us about that? Yeah. It, 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 you give me like PTSD because I remember. <laughs> so we, we got to the point and, it, and again, I think with these large deals, there's, there's always negotiation to be done, but there's a kind of, there's like a step off point where each party can kind of walk away. And I think there's very few ways you can persuade a customer to spend a large amount of money. You don't do any persuading. It's about, you know, 
providing the facts, giving them the medicine, the recommendation, and asking if they're willing to go forward, you know, and step forward with you. So we'd gone through this kind of really, really extended discussion with, I wouldn't call it negotiation, but, you know, they were, they were frustrated about SLAs. They wanted particular liability clauses, you know, all the kind of standard stuff. And we just got to this loggerhead point where it wasn't moving. So what we did is we actually drew up the contract and we delivered it to them at the head office in Reading. And we said, here, here is your, here's your contract. And I'm delivering it to you in paper because there's no more changes to be done. And they actually rang the next day and they didn't actually bring me. They rang my boss. And I remember because I was actually in Guildford at the time. So I'd taken my, uh, taken my lovely girlfriend who I'm still with now uh, to this wonderful woods outside the back of Guildford. And I'd got a lovely packed lunch from M&S. I got a phone call through and I actually thought the phone call was that the contract was being signed. They just said, you know what? Yeah, we're, we're, we're being silly. We're going to sign it. And my boss rang me. He said, Jason, I know you're on your day off and I'm going to tell you the news. And then I just want you to move on with your day and we'll speak about it when you're in the office next week. He said, um, they rang us. They said they don't want the contract. They're going to rip it up um, and step away from the deal. And li literally, like I still feel sick thinking about it now because it, li it, literally, it literally wrecked my day. And I had to go to this lovely Bluebell Woods. So you can imagine that spring was in the air. I went to the Bluebell Woods and I had this really nice packed lunch that I got us. And everything tasted like ash that day. Like everything tasted like absolute <laughs> rubbish. And, and my, my girlfriend, so we'd, we'd just been seeing each other for a few months. And she's like, are you, are you okay? It was like Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. She's like, are you okay, Jason? Are you all right? I'm like, this deal. I've been working on this deal for so long. Like I was literally prepared to get their brand tattooed on me. And I said, uh, I don't have to explain it to you. I said, but um, I've just lost this deal. And I don't think I'm ever going to get a bigger deal like this again. So anyway, we, you know, she was really good. We had a really nice afternoon. Came into work the next, next week. And my boss, Rob, said, do not ring them. Do not email them. Don't go to the office. Stop working from there. Ignore their calls. You're going silent. You don't exist anymore. And he was a really, really good coach for me, this guy. He, he gave me my first field sales job. So I ignored them. And two weeks later... They picked up the phone and they rang Rob, of course. They didn't ring me because I'm, I'm the lowly salesperson, which is fine because, again, yeah. I've mapped, mapped out the relationships of who should speak to who. That's absolutely okay. I don't have an ego when it comes to that. And they rang Rob and Rob went away into the meeting room and he came out. And he went, they're going to sign the contract. They didn't rip it up. They're going to sign it. They've agreed on our terms. Yes. And I, I, was, I, I was literally buzzing. And I was like, but then what changed? He said, they were pushing us. They were testing us. They wanted to see actually could they get what they wanted and they realized because we just ignored them that no, we weren't going to get it. I said, what was the conversation, Rob? So his name was Subod. So Subod rang, rang Rob and he goes, yeah, Rob, um, we're going to sign the contract. Do you want to come pick it up this afternoon? Like that was literally it. That's what he said. So I think it's really, really a great lesson that actually walk away from a few deals. It's okay. Like just say, hey, do you know what? I'm, I'm at my limit. You know, I'm at my limit. The pricing is the best you're going to get. The solution is the creme de la creme. I've got all the options in there you want. I can't do anything else. I'm going to walk. And in fact, I took that lesson. I actually walked away from a deal just a week ago. And that then came back as well. And it wasn't that kind of, ha-ha, got you. It was actually, you know, we, we need to see where the boundary is, like what actually feels good. I'm never, ever, ever going to do a deal. And this is what I realized at the time, because the kind of junior commission-hungry salesperson me, I'd be happy to sign off on whatever liability. Yeah, yeah, they want that. SLA. give it to them. Let's just get the deal in. But I had a really good legal team. I had a really good leadership team that said, no, do you know what? We're, 
we're not going to write risky business. And with that, I've kind of took with me that any deal I do, I've got the company front and center. And although the customer may want to negotiate, there comes a limit. And do you know what I even say to a customer that, that, you know, you're pushing me to the edge and I'm going to walk away. Like I may have to just step away and I don't want to let you down. So I think in that time, you know, going back to, to the deal being lost, that was the one that really stuck with me. And I remember I drove, I had a Mini Cooper S, Pepper White, black stripes, black roof. I drove as fast as I could from Abingham, where I lived at the time, all the way to Reading. And I picked up the contract and this thing was, it was like a tomb. Like it was like this, this thing. <laughs> I got in my car and I had my girlfriend with me. I was like, this is it. This is the contract. And that literally was part one of three of the contracts that came through. And literally two months later, another one. And two months later, another one. And it was just, you know, we kind of, we, we breached that level. And again, it all started because we said no. And I remember I rang Rob. I was like, Rob, imagine if I said yes. Imagine if we were there celebrating a 15, 20,000 pound deal of connecting two data centers together. We'd have missed out all of this. So for salespeople listening, right, try it out. If a customer asks for a coach, say, hey, I'm not going to give it to you just yet. Let me just hold back a little bit because I just don't quite understand what you're trying to achieve. Clue me in. Let's climb that mountain together. So yeah, it was a, it was a fun deal. Um, I learned a ton from it. And there's still so many lessons that daily I use it to act upon my deals, share with other people, and uh, hopefully sharpen the sales sword. Ding! Yeah, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> We've just gone 12 rounds with Jason Baskaran. He just knocked us out. <laughs> That's unbelievable, Joe. You know I love about it so much that they signed the contract with a pen on paper and they asked you to come and pick it up. I don't even yeah, know if me and Jack were born when people used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was an, honestly, remember in Reading, and then, then literally shortly after, I did a deal with a company just over the road and it was similar circumstances. The deal wasn't half as big, but... I don't know, like that, that deal sits with me. And every now and then, you know, I'll reach out to Deb on LinkedIn. I'll go, Deb, I just want you to know I'm so grateful that we had that meeting. I'm so grateful that you took me into Worthing and you're happy to sit down with me and, you know, do the do the deal and uh, get it done. And, you know, we, we've been friends ever since, which is which is fantastic. So uh, I think it's yeah, such an important lesson. And I've literally had it like, you know, I have it not on a weekly basis, but, you know, where a customer will just be like, just give me commercials. I only care about commercials. And I should just, I just, I'm going to take this lesson every time and just say, no. Can I, can I, tell, can I tell you one more story? Sorry, just, just on this. You go for it. Like, yeah. Okay. So like I, j- just to kind of clue you in, you can include this if you want. So I live in a really, really small town on the West coast of Sweden. It's called Falkenberg and it's got a population that's literally 15, 20,000. So you can imagine it's, it's very sparsely populated. So at this time I worked between Malmo in the South Gothenburg a little bit north and Stockholm the kind of yeah capital city and I got this commercial request from an existing customer to upgrade their account to another level so I worked at Apsis at the time and his name was Daniel Novak so I actually gave him a call and I was like Daniel I'm responsible for this region I've got this request from you and again it was like almost a kind of carbon copy of this I was like I'm going to say no like I know you want this quote but like how about you and I just meet up and we can kind of have a chat he said, no. I said, why not? He said, I'm really busy. I said, busy doing what? He said, I travel around a lot. I said, well, that's great, Daniel. I said, because I travel around a lot as well. I said, I'm in Gothenburg right now, but I can meet you in Malmo. I can meet you up in Stockholm. It doesn't matter. I can meet you anywhere. I said, because I live in Falkenberg and I have to commute. And do you know what he said to me? He said, what do you think of Falkenberg? I went, what do I think of Falkenberg? I said, do you know what? I said, I love it. So it's really cute. I said, my kids go to school here. I said, I can 
run around, do errands. I can go to the beach. I can have a dip in the evening. I can go in the woods. I can pick mushrooms. I think it's fantastic. Wasn't on my list of places to live, but I really love it. He went, good. Meet me at Bodymester Gordon Cafe tomorrow, nine o'clock. I also live in Falkenberg. We'll meet you there. And I was like, uh... what? Literally. So, so, so I, I, I met up with this guy, Daniel. He ended up becoming a customer, a very good customer and also a good friend. So now I have dinner with him and regularly do cycles and stuff with him. But I met up with him and I said, Daniel, I said, I'm going to ask you a question. Like, why did you say no to meeting me that you were super busy, but then all of a sudden you weren't busy? He said, I wanted to test you. I wanted to see what you thought about my local town. As soon as you said Falkenberg, if you're going to say bad things about it, he said, I'll never meet you. He said, but you said good things. So I thought, okay, maybe this guy who's traveled from another country, maybe he's all right. I'm going to spend some time. So literally spent time, did a wonderful project together. And, you know, I've got a happy customer and also a good friend out of it. So, again, you know, start with no, like just puts that credibility there because you're saying no based on valid principles. You're not saying no because you're a jerk or you're trying to be clever. You're saying no because you need to get more info and you don't want to give stuff away too freely. There you go. Yeah, that is such a critical principle because at the start of your sales career, again, you just want to get that. You want to just grease the wheels. Of course you do. It's easier. It's, yeah, it is easy. Yeah, yeah. If you give yourself hard work, like it's, it's easier um but like you say it's um it's it's i think it's a it's a it's a slippery slope you start giving discounts you start being hungry for the deal you mm. you look you talk you act like a real salesperson but like just slow it down say no get a big team you know do those things and then try and try and at least once a week i'll reach out to the top performing reps where i am and i'll say hey what are you doing jason you're a legend man thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us jack thanks for making this happen this has been insightful is not a good enough word i don't think it was a good it was a good session yeah yeah really good thank you yeah, thanks man. a lot jason we'll uh, wrap it up there boom